0: 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Last month, we started in chapter 7 and we got down to uh, verse 24 and the topic of Paul's writing to the Corinthians in this first um, half um, of chapter 7 is that he's dealing with the principles of marriage. The the real principle of the male and female relationship. And um, uh, we get some really awesome pictures of what marriage is supposed to be and some amazing pictures of why, uh, why God made the mar- marriage the way He did and the um, pr- pictures that we see of between Christ and the church and the correlations there. And uh, what, one of the things we saw in the first uh, six or so verses is is that there is to be a giving of yourself, to your spouse, there is to be a giving of your body to the one that you marry, and uh, of course, we know in uh, um, in the Gospels we find Jesus gave His body for us. Amen. That's why we can be saved. That's why we can even be redeemed, and we are also called in Romans chapter twelve to give our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And then in um, verses 10 through uh, 16 we find that marriage was supposed to be permanent marriage was something that was not ever supposed to be broken up and of course we know in the gospels when jesus was addressed with the issue by the pharisees and uh, the religious rulers they came to him and they were asking him um, hey moses says that it's okay for us to divorce what do you say and what is what was jesus's response His response was that that was permitted. Why? Because of the hardness of your heart. It wasn't something that was in God's original design, and so God's original design for marriage was, of course, that it was to be permanent. And that's where we uh, um, have Jesus say that what God puts together, let not man separate. And so we find that uh, Paul reinforces that here and he says that the only reason, the only reason that uh, um, there can be a separation in marriage, and of course Jesus gives one in in Matthew that if there is uh, sexual immorality, that divorce is permitted in that case, but the only reason that some that there can uh, be a separation that Paul gives in First uh, Corinthians seven in verse fifteen. It, look there with me. It says, "But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to." Peace and so we see these three big principles that Paul gives us here in 1 Corinthians chapter seven about marriage. And um, number one is is that you're, there's a giving of yourself to one another. Secondly, is that it's permanent. And that thirdly, that the only release from marriage is is if there's an unbeliever unwilling to stay. And there really is a beautiful picture, a beautiful correlation between Christ and His church with those three points that Paul brings up and that God gave Himself for us, we're to give ourselves to Him. That it's to be a permanent thing and we find in Scripture that God will never leave us or forsake us. And aren't we thankful for that? And we also find that the only reason, the only way that you, you are not a part of Christ's bride is because of Unbelief. And that's the only thing that can separate you from Him. And so now Paul is going to take a turn. He's going to turn from the topic of and the principles governing marriage to, uh, to talk to those that are unmarried and, and, and the widows. And so if you look there with me in verse 25, of chapter seven of first corinthians it says now concerning virgins i have no commandment from the lord yet i give judgment as one whom the lord in his mercy has made trustworthy i suppose therefore that it is good because of this present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, The time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction." And so here Paul gives three principles to those who are not married yet. And as I look out, I see many of us are married, but many of us have children too, right? And so here's some great principles that we can um, look back at and we can, we can see and we can teach our kids. And, and um, this, this topic is especially dear to me because I, uh, for many years, was a youth pastor, and I've seen how this world works, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, especially if you're a parent of someone who's in high school. You've probably seen uh, the process that is often called dating in our culture, right? And you've seen uh, probably the effects of it. I know when I was uh, in um, in junior, high, or I was the junior high director. Um, and pastor uh, over in Calvary Chapel of Troy, Missouri, and um, it never failed. I, I, I would have a young man or a young woman come into the classroom, and they would be eager to learn. They had a love for the Lord. And they would come in, and they would be listening, and they would be paying attention. They would stay afterwards and talk, and they have all these questions, and it never failed that every time I saw a young man and a young woman who had a heart for the Lord, and there was a few who this didn't happen to, but they would inevitably start to get involved in a relationship with someone with the opposite sex. And whether they were in junior high, whether they were in high school, I'll tell you what happened, each and every time they lost interest in pursuing the Lord. I remember when I was in high school, my mom pulled me aside quite a few different times. And she said, Josh, one of Satan's favorite trick for you, favorite tricks for you as a young man is to bring a young woman along who may be good, she may even be a Christian, but it's not God's time and she's not the one that the Lord has for you and he will seek to distract you and pull you away in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex. And I just remember that sticking in my head. And of course, as I went to high school, what was the first thing I wanted to do? I wanted to get a girlfriend just like all my other friends, right? How many of you remember that pressure? You see all these people dating and hooking up, and and you realize that it's a very superficial thing, right? That you're actually practicing not for real life, not for marriage, but you're actually practicing for divorce, Why? Because you get involved in a relationship with someone and then when you get tired of them instead of working through the issues, what do you do? Well, bye and you're off to the next person, right? And I promise you this, the dating and things that happen today in our society are a lot worse than what they were when we were in school. I remember having a conversation with my dad about this and I was just telling them, telling them about these things that were happening in the youth. And, 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 uh, and my dad, he's a senior pastor, and he was, he was kind of sitting there. He's like, you know, Josh, do you really think it's that big of a deal, you know, that, that kid's date? I mean, wh- what's the harm? And I said, things are different now, Dad. You have kids in middle school who are getting pregnant. That was unheard of 20 years ago. That was something, and and when you did hear of it, it was a big deal. Now it's just like, oh, there's another one, you know. But Paul gives us a couple governing principles, and I want to just look back just real quick to verse 1 of chapter 7. Look at what he says. He says, now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And so here's the governing principle. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. If you're not married, the principle, the rule to follow is, is you do not touch anyone in an inappropriate way of the opposite sex. Paul puts it to Timothy like this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. He says to treat the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, does that fit into the definition of what we see in dating today in high school? Of course not. And it's sad because I, I, I saw it time after time. These, the, the parents of these kids who have, sometimes have no idea what's going on. Sometimes they do and they don't care or they think it's normal or good. But sometimes they just have no clue and they look and they, oh, isn't that cute? They're, they're little boyfriend and little girlfriend, right? the sad thing is is that that's that's not all that's happening and we have to be very careful to guard ourselves and our children the second rule that uh, paul gives earlier in the chapter is in verse 7 look there with me he says for i wish that all men were given as were even as my I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner, and another in that. And so Paul says, "Hey, I wish everybody was like me. I wish everybody was was living for the Lord, was unmarried and living for the Lord." But he says, "Each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner, and another in that." And from what from what we uh, what we can gather from verse seven, we find that marriage and celibacy really isn't. Um, it's not something that we approach and we think that it's just our choice or it's the cultural norm to marry, therefore we should do it. But isn't that kind of what, uh, what we feel growing up? That we should automatically, you know, as we get older, what do we do? We go to college and then we get married and then we get a job. And we think that that's what we should do, right? But Paul says, hey, listen, marriage and celibacy, they're gifts from God. And so the question is, is not so much when am I going to get married? But what, what gift has the Lord given me? And in verse 9, because the question undoubtedly arises, how do I know what God has called me to do? Paul's very practical. I love this. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So how do you know if you've been called to live for the Lord as a Christian and be single? Well, there's gonna be a satisfaction in the Lord. Yeah, sure, you may desire to get married every once in a while, but wouldn't you agree that there's a big difference between being burnt by a fire and feeling the warmth of it, right? And Paul says here, hey, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So if you've got that desire and you're pining for marriage, that's probably a pretty good sign that the Lord has given you the gift of marriage. But if you're content in Him, then maybe the Lord's given you the gift of celibacy. I remember when I went to Bible college, um, before I left, my dad literally told me, he looked me in the eye and he said, Josh, you're probably gonna find your wife out there. And I'll just tell you right now, I didn't find my wife out there. She was in Illinois. But I remember going out there and being very distracted because what was I doing? I started looking for my wife. I started every 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 girl who I saw walk into the classroom who I thought was pretty I was like, "Hmm, lord, is she the one?" you know? And I'd be sitting there and the teacher's teaching from the word of God and I'm sitting there thinking about a white picket fence and I wonder how many kids she wants, you know what I mean? Like it's just and I'm getting distracted and I found myself even when I went to pray and seek the lord in my personal time, I started thinking about these things and I found myself really distracted. I was really distracted. And I went and I told one of my fellow uh, uh, Bible college students, one of my brothers, I was like, hey, man, can you pray for me in this? I'm just feeling really distracted. And you know what he told me? He, he pulled me aside and he said, you know, me too. And I was like, oh, good, I'm not the only one. And by the way, the pressure out there is pretty heavy to get married. They, they call it the bridal college, not just the Bible college. They say, come here to get your MRS degree. There's even a legend that there's a big pond on the campus that if you walk around the, the pond, they call it the lake, but you walk around this pond three times with someone, that means you're going to marry them. You know? You know, there's all these things, and they have, they, there's a joke about the ring by spring or get your money back You know, um, if you come here. You know, so there's all these jokes, and of course, there's a lot of older teachers there. I mean, there's this older guy um, named Tom Mouch, and he would literally like, look at someone, and he'd be like, hey, I think you and her would make a good couple. And you're just sitting there in class with, you know, 50 other students. You know, you're just like, whoa, dude, whoa, you know. But, you know, they they mean it in a joking way, and it's lighthearted. But there is a big pressure in the world, isn't there? And sometimes we can feel the weight of that and be largely distracted by it. But the question is, is what has the Lord given us? What's the gift that God has given to us. But anyways, as I was, um, as I was talking to my friend uh, at Bible college, and he said, dude, I was struggling with this too. I, I, I was just listening to a message by John Corson, and he was talking about Adam and Eve, right? The first husband and wife. And what he said was so would minister to me so much. And he was just explaining how 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 John said, uh, you know, he started off asking what was Adam doing when God was making Eve. And what was he doing? He was sleeping, wasn't he? Adam wasn't involved in the design process at all. He didn't have any input. He was asleep. He was resting, and waiting. And then when it was time, what did God do? He woke Adam up, and he said, here she is. And Adam said, whoa, man. That's what I'm going to call you, woman. You know, yeah. Corny joke, I know. But you know, that, that, was the, that, that was the design. That's how God did it, right? Adam was asleep. And so the exhortation, exhortation to all those who were, who were single was, go to sleep to it. Let the Lord work it out. Rest in him, wait on him. Paul in verse 25, look there with me. He says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. And so basically he says in verse 25, you know, Jesus didn't really address this issue specifically. He didn't um, address the propriety of marriage. He didn't address how um, the, whether or not you should be or shouldn't be. And so there's no commandment directly from Jesus's lips, but he says, I, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy of course Paul was called to be an apostle and as he's writing this he's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he goes on in verse 26 he says I suppose therefore that it is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is are you bound to a wife do not seek to be loosed Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. And so... Paul says, hey, number one, I suppose that it's good because of this present distress. And what present distress was he talking about? It could have been um, some present persecutions that were actually happening at that time in Corinth. Although we we read in uh, um, chapter 4 that the Corinthians felt like they were reigning as kings. So, um, And as you look at the word in the Greek for present distress, it also could mean the coming distress. And so Paul's looking at the church. He's saying, you know what? We're gonna undergo persecution, and indeed, the church did undergo great persecution. Once, uh, um, at this time, they were heavily persecuted by the Jews. But once uh, Nero kind of went crazy, in, uh not too long before 70 A.D., the Christians were martyred and murdered like crazy throughout the Roman Empire. And so he's saying here, he's saying, hey, listen, because of this present distress, my recommendation is that you remain as you are. If you're bound to a wife, don't seek to be loosed. But if you're loosed from a wife, that is, if you're not married, don't seek a wife. And what's the point of that? I remember when I was a little kid when I was watching a movie with my dad and it was, um, and I, I don't remember exactly, I was, I was young, so I can't remember if it was a music video or a movie, but the, the, the scene was this, is there was a father being separated from his daughter and child, and the implication was, is they were being separated because someone was going to be persecuted or tortured or even put to death. And I remember, even as a young young boy, that scene gripping me and bringing about a great anxiety within me. And you can imagine, I mean, imagine living in a country, by the way, it, it, it happens today, where Christians are dragged away from their families just because they're believers in Jesus Christ. I mean, you remember praying for Pastor Saeed Abedini, right? You know, I, I, don't get me wrong, my heart went out to Pastor Saeed Abedini, but I, I feel like my heart really went out to his wife and kids, <laughs> But imagine the church being under a great persecution. What would would be better? (laughs) What would be more expedient in that time? Of course, it would be a great burden to have to care. Not that it would be something we wouldn't want to do, but it would be a great burden to have a wife and children in that situation, would it not? If the enemy could use them as a means to torture you and to persecute you, it would indeed be a distressing thing. And so Paul says, hey, if, if you're bound to a wife, don't seek to be loose. If you're loose, don't seek a wife. But even if you do marry, he makes this clear in verse 28. Look there with me. Even if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. The second thing he points out in verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as, as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. And so the second um, reason that Paul really advocates this celibate lifestyle is, is that the time is short. And then he says in verse 29, So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now what is he saying there? The time is short. In other words, Christ could come back at any moment. Not only that, we know we're living for a heavenly kingdom, right? We're living not for this world. And so Paul's saying, when he says, uh, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, he's not giving any husband or wife license to go out and act like they're not married. What he says is along the same lines as verse 30. Look there with me. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. Why? For the form of this world is passing away. And the second reason Paul says, hey, it could, it could really be beneficial for you to remain single if you're single is, is that the time is short, guys. We're not living for this world. Jesus could come back at any moment. So we ought not to live for this life. When we weep over the things of this world, we should be as those who really aren't affected by those things. When we rejoice, we shouldn't find our true joy in the things of this world. When we buy things, we should realize that, you know what, one day we're going to lose them. We don't really possess them. And when we use this world, we shouldn't overuse it because the form of this world is passing away. In verse 32, he goes on, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. He says the third reason is so that you can serve the Lord wholly and fully without any other responsibilities. And Paul here, he's not saying that it's a bad responsibility to be married. He's just saying one of the advantages to not being married is is you can commit yourself completely to the work of the Lord. I remember when um, when Kelly and I first became engaged, I was driving in my car, and I literally had this thought in my head. I was like, man, I I better start being, I feel like I should be more careful now, (laughs) because I've got someone to go home to. i got someone that's counting on me. There was a worry that I had never had before. You know, before it's like, you know, you get in your car, you're a single guy. You know, if you go home early to be with the Lord, your parents and brothers and sisters might be sad, but it's like, yeah, oh well, I'm with the Lord, right? There's no concern. But then I was like, man, I, I need to, I feel like I need to be more careful now. And the other day I saw a post from a, uh, um, a little boy that I knew, uh, I knew him when he was just a baby, and he was the son of a, uh, of a, of a teacher that, that um, was at the Bible college, and I knew this teacher very well. I greatly respected him. He ended up having a uh, aggressive form of brain cancer, and he died. Um, and It's been quite a few years now. I don't remember how long it's been. But his mother posted this thing on Facebook which said, um, and and it had this question, I guess it was a question from school, but it said, if you could wish for one thing, what would it be? And the son said, I wish that my daddy could come back. And man, that just tore my heart up. I was just like, oh man. Because there's a greater burden when you have children, isn't there? There's a greater burden when you have a spouse. There's someone that, that you have to care for, and so Paul is saying, hey listen, if you're single, you don't have that. You can drop everything at 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 the um, at, at moments' notice and go. You can go to a mission, you know, go to a the mission field, go do whatever the Lord calls you to do. But there's a greater responsibility, and so Paul gives these three reasons. He says, "Hey, listen, being unmarried isn't all that bad." And I think one of the reasons Paul is coming off pretty strong here is first of all because he's celibate and he understands the benefits of it. Secondly, you got to remember the Jewish culture. You weren't really even considered a man until you were married that it was actually shameful for you not to be married in the jewish culture in fact they considered you in disobedience to god if you didn't because god's command to be fruitful and multiply was to be taken seriously in the jewish culture and so Paul here is making a case. He's saying, listen, if you have the gift of celibacy, don't think that you're just wasting your life. Don't think that you're missing out. You get these wonderful things. You get to serve the Lord without distraction. In times of persecution, God can send you places and you won't have, you won't have a worry about those that you've left behind back home. And so now he comes to verse 36, and this these next few verses are very hard for us in our culture to grasp but look at them with me in verse 36 he says but if any man thinks he's behaving improperly toward his virgin if she's past the flower of youth and thus it must be let him do what he wishes he does not sin let them marry nevertheless he who stands steadfast in his heart having no necessity but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. And so here Paul turns from those that are single, and he really turns to the fathers of uh, of. Um, that have daughters and he says if anyone thinks in verse 36 that he's behaving improperly toward his virgin if she's past the flower of youth and, do, and thus it must be let him do what he wishes he does not sin let him marry what is he saying well back then they had arranged marriages right that was the culture they grew up in. And again, that's kind of hard for us to understand, but they would arrange marriages. And so he's talk, he, he talks to the virgins, he talks to those who are single, and now he turns to the father and he says, okay, you fathers who have daughters, if you're looking at them and you're seeing that they're pining for marriage, they want to be married, they even have someone in mind maybe who's godly and, and, and seeks the Lord. He says, if you feel like you're acting improperly, holding them back from marriage... He says, let him do what he wishes. He doesn't sin, let them marry. Verse 37, nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but having power over his own will and is so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. And so if there's no need, and if you stand resolute in your decision, you do well. And Paul sums it up in verse 38. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does Better and that word well when he says he who gives her in marriage does well literally means morally good. It's right. It's a good thing. And the word better doesn't mean more morally good. It it just means there's an advantage. And so Paul isn't saying well if you really want the best for your kids. Yeah, you, know, you, you hear people say that all the time. If you re- do you really love your kids? Why do you let them do that? You know, and they use that as a ploy to get you to do what they want you to do. <laughs> it's just like dude. Back off, but Paul's not like that. He said, "Hey, it's good. It's it's right for you to give your your daughter in marriage, and there's an advantage to not doing it." You know, I was I was listening to a message um, about dating, uh, and the the. The pastor made this great point. He said, you know, in our culture, we we look back at arranged marriages as if they are just so prehistoric, they are so outdated, and they are so wrong. And in many ways, they are. It's not the perfect way. It's not the best way. He says, but compare that to the way that we now allow our kids to be married and pursue spouses of their own. How many times have you seen a young man or a woman get involved in a relationship with someone that you know is no good for them? You see it all the time, don't you? And if you have a father who loves his child, who cares for his daughter, do you think he's going to pick someone for her that's going to be someone who's not going to provide, not going to love her, not going to care for her? I mean, how much wisdom do you have as parents compared to your children in this matter quite a bit even though our children may not think so right and now that i have a daughter and i'm married i'm really starting to advocate arranged marriages no i'm just kidding but you can see there's there's even wisdom in that even though we look back at that and we go oh that stomps on our freedom and our liberty we live in a society that's big on personal freedoms don't we and so anything that goes and flies in the face of that it's as if it's anathema it's it's terrible But you know, Paul gives instructions to these men who have daughters. And I don't think it was nearly as bad of a system as you and I think that it may have been. Although I'm sure it was abused, and it is abused even today, when people are viewed more as property. But when parents really love their children. In fact, I remember even hearing um, the testimony of a young woman who came from a culture of arranged marriages, and she said, you know, no, me and my parents, we talk about it. And they'll kind of set me up with some guy, and I'll tell him, hey, I don't like him, and they're like, oh, okay, well, well, we'll try a different one, I guess, you know. It's not nearly as rigid as we might think it was. But he moves on to widows now in verse 39. He says, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. And so Paul here talks to those wives. And those women, and, and by application, those husbands too, who have a spouse that has died and that, that we are bound to our spouse as long as they're alive. But once they have died, we're at liberty to be married to whomever we wish. And the only condition is, noticed at the end of verse 39, is in the Lord. And that's key. Make sure they're believers. Make sure they're walking with the Lord. But he says, she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. And so Paul here gives some great principles to those who are not married. And I think really he redefines our view of how life should work. So often we get caught up in our culture. We get caught up in the way things uh, ought to be or however we think they should be. And at times, what we do is we have everything in our lives planned out and what we've done is we've completely left God out of the mix. We've completely neglected seeking wisdom from the Lord. And what Paul is saying is, is listen, what God calls you to do, who God calls you to be, who God whether or not calls you, God calls you to be married or not, that is a gift. And believe me, Though I remember when I was single, thinking, well, of course marriage is a gift. If, if you're married, you don't have to worry about anything, right? It's just awesome when you're married. But you realize that, yes, you need grace and God's gift and strength when you're single, right? But you also need God's gift and strength when you get married because you have not only your flesh to contend with, You've got the flesh of another person to contend with now, don't you? You have not only your shortcomings to deal with, but you have the shortcomings of another person, however precious and sweet they may be. And I love my wife to death, but we both readily admit we're, a, we're two flawed human beings. We love the Lord, we want to serve Him, but we are not perfect. And there's going to be times where you need the strength of God to deal with your spouse. And believe me, it is a gift that God gives. And there are multiple benefits to being married, married, but there are multiple challenges too. How many of you realize once you got married how selfish you actually were? Because you only think about yourself when you're single, right? What am I gonna eat today? What am I gonna do today? You know what? What? What are my plans for today? And you get married, and you got to throw someone else's plans and agenda and 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 meals into the mix, and you're like, "Whoa, I didn't expect this." You know. But they're both gifts, and they're given by the Lord, and so we ought to pursue, Lord. What gift have you given me? What calling have you placed on my life? I remember when I was. Uh, <laughs> I was single and in, uh, in Missouri, and I hadn't. It, I was a few years yet away from meeting my wife. Come back. I had come back from Bible college, and I had just taught on a Wednesday night, and this couple came up to me, and they handed me this piece of paper, and all it had was a name on it, and I was like, "Okay," and I had had this happen before, but. The they were like I think I think you two are meant to be and it wasn't the name of my wife I'll just tell you that right now. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like i just I just like immediately didn't have a piece about it, you know? Like they were trying to set me up with someone, and I'm just like, and I and I, I quoted this verse. I said, um, uh, I said you know Paul actually says that if you're loosed from a wife, don't seek a wife. And they looked at me like what do you mean? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm just content where I am right now. Because when I was in Bible college, I had to face that decision. And, I was, and, I, and it was funny because me, uh, me and some of my um, college roommates and stuff, we, um, we would always joke about how we were going to be bachelors to the rapture, you know. And, uh, but we were just content serving the Lord. And, and I, I began to understand that my time of singleness was a gift from God. Because that was the time where I had, I had all the time in the world. I mean, you realize how much extra time you have after you get married and after you have kids, don't you? You're like, man, I had a lot of extra time. I didn't realize that you could be this busy, you know. But you had all that, I had all that time to seek the Lord and pursue Him. And so I believe that's why Paul even says to the married people, hey, if you're married, you need to, at times, be as if you don't even have a wife because we married people, we need to seek the Lord too, don't we? It's wonderful and I love having devotions with my wife, but there's some times where I'll, I'll be, you know, having my devotion and my wife will walk downstairs and it's not because I don't want to be around her, it's just because I want to be alone with the Lord and I'll go, I'll walk into a different room. Why? Because I need to get alone with Jesus, and I tell you what: when you're single, you have all that time to do that, don't you? And it's a blessing. It's a gift. And so, unless God calls you to be married, married, unless God, you know, is putting that within your heart, that great desire, just enjoy that time. And it was it was awesome because I really was, and I and I, I, I I was content. I you know, and it's not that I never thought about it. It's not that I ever thought. That, thought, you know, oh, maybe I don't want to be married in the future, but I was just like, you know, Lord, I'm content just serving you. And then one night, this beautiful young lady walks in from Illinois to our uh, um, college and career group and I woke up. So, um, may the Lord encourage you this morning to not let the world define who you are and what you should do to not let our culture dictate where we go and how we behave. And I believe this this applies so far beyond just the marriage relationship. It can apply to whether or not we go to college, where we go to college. It can apply to our career choice. It can apply to to every part of our life. Don't let the culture invade that space that that is reserved for God, that, that seat, that throne in your heart to tell you where to go and what to do. Because that's God's throne in his alone. Amen? Would you stand with me for a word of prayer? Father, we thank you. And we praise you for your word. Lord, there, there can be so much pressure, especially for these young ones, and trying to find the right spouse, trying to find the right thing to do. And Lord, we just thank you that you give those gifts. And that we can just go to you for guidance, that we can go to you for direction, that we don't have to wander around in the dark and wonder what we should do. As we see the divorce rate so high in our world, close to if not beyond 50%, we truly understand that marriage is a gift, that we need the grace from you in our marriages. We need strength from you. To live in this wonderful institution of marriage. But Lord, we also pray for all of our children, Lord, all of all of those whom you've called to be single, whether it be for a time or for the rest of their lives, we pray that you would give them strength. That you would call them according to your perfect will, that you'd give them the gift and strength that they need to live for you and to live for you completely, Lord. So fix our eyes on you, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you so much for the cross. And may we worship you in this time as we sing this last song. In your name we pray, amen.